This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. listening to the 4000 holes podcast brought to you by the people at brfcs.com and sponsored by the lovely people at the terrace hello this is sam swadix here and welcome to the 4000 holes podcast Welcome to the Roundtable Show on the 4000 Holes podcast. And on this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Ireland. Alex has written a book called Pretty Polly, The History of the Football Shirt. And if ever I was going to write a book about football, then it would be about football kits, as many people know. I am really, really enthusiastic about them. But Alex has saved me the trouble. So I'm delighted to welcome him on board. Alex, welcome to the 4000 Holes podcast. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now then, I think we need to get something out up front you are even though you're sat tonight resplendent in a blue and white half shirt you are in fact a manchester united supporter so tell us a little bit about your becoming a united fan and your earliest memories of of football yeah so it's something that i think every home-based manchester united fan has to declare at every opportunity the earliest opportunity but i am a manchester united fan but i am from manchester i've always had an m post code (laughs) It's always been my closest league ground, but whether that will qualify me in, in people's minds, I don't know. We'll let you yeah, my, my dad had a season ticket in the 60s, 70s. Um, then when I came along, I, I very fortunate that the first season he took me was 92-93. So, yeah, very fortunate timing. I suppose as a, at the time it would have been to be a, a young Rovers fan. Absolutely. So, yeah, and then followed them ever since. Two young kids, so I don't go to a lot of home games, just a, uh, you know half a dozen each season at the moment, but that long-term aim of getting a season ticket. 
Yeah, you are one of the Premier League generation then, in in that respect. So your yeah. earlier, your first season would have been Rovers' first season. Well, everyone's first season in the Premier League, wasn't it? It was the first season. But Rovers had a decent side then. Um, did you get to any of the games involving United and Rovers in those early years of the Premier League? Yeah, well, I've gone to a, to a couple, only the home games. I didn't really get to go because we didn't have season tickets. But yeah, yeah remember the kind of founding teams, weren't they? You think Sutton, Shearer, yeah, I mean, you can name them even now, sort of Wilcox and Hendry and so on. So, yeah, a really big challenger for us in that first part of the, the Premier League era. It did seem weird for me as a Rovers fan, I have to say. My, yeah, my heritage goes back way to the 60s and 70s. Um, and Manchester United were just the team that you watched on match of the day alongside Liverpool. Uh, and the thought was actually playing. And for a few seasons, beating those sorts of teams, it was uh, truly a dream come true. But uh, we're, we're hopeful we'll get back one day. We're, we're, sort of, we're still hanging in there. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about your, your book and your shirt. Your your story about shirts. So who were who were your first United heroes then, and what was the first United shirt that you you owned that you can remember? First hero was probably Ryan Gigston with newful naivety. I used to argue with my dad about whether George Best or Ryan Giggs was better. <laughs> I think it, now I, I can concede that that perhaps Giggs he didn't, despite having a mar- marvelous career, didn't quite live up to to Best's heights, and then. I can't remember exactly what it would have been. I think it's the 94 shirt, home shirt would have been my, my first one. And there's still a couple from that era hanging around, a couple of, unfortunately, disintegrated due to, you know, being loved too much. There is a, a terrific account on Twitter, on Twitter um, football shirt restorations. So maybe you could contact them and get it, uh, get it rejuvenated and all, all the rest of it. I think they, 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 some of the 90s ones were, were very, very resilient. So now it will be, again, I say this with a Rover shirt with the Crown Paints sponsor peeling off, but they, they were pretty indestructible. indestructible. But I, I think even they'd had their, their chance by the time I'd finished with them. Absolutely. So the book then, as we say, Pretty Polly, the history of the football shirt. Where, where did the original idea come from then? When did you sort of think, yeah, I need to commit this to, to print? I've been... So collecting for for a few years without really knowing what that I was collecting is just buying a shirt because yeah you'd see Gay Comendietta in a Valencia shirt and or Fernando Torres in a Letico shirt and either a team or player would inspire me to want to emulate that by wearing it as I plodded around a five a side pitch and and then it maybe twenty seventeen or so something like that actually one of my best pals uh who is a rovers fan and the reason that i've I've been to a few games at ewood uh, sent me a few links about places you could buy online and i i got into a bit more and i started writing articles about football shirts and as i was doing it you realize there's all these fantastic bits of history and wanted to put it all together and and you know, help people to realize, help people to to understand where all the different elements of the shirt came from. As we'll talk about the sponsor, the badges, and the designs, and so on. So, how did you set about structure? When did when did these articles become the framework for a book? When did it flip in your mind that hang on a minute, there's a book in this? It was right at the start of 2020. We started doing a podcast. No, sorry, 2021, we started doing a podcast about football kits. Uh, we'd 
started a magazine about football kits. So there's a lot, <laughs> lot going on. And I was reading a lot of these articles and editing articles about different elements of football kits. And again, just thought there were so many stories that were untold and so many elements of this thing that's very precious to every football fan, whether they realise it or not, were, were unknown to us. There is something... That, that you know, you're not fit to wear the shirt. You sort of you reference that in the book. It is so evocative. It's the absolute embodiment of the of the club spirit, and it, the design and the colours, as as we'll get into, I'm sure, are really really important to fans. Uh, and I know whereof I speak absolutely about that. So, uh, how did you go about getting a publisher interested in it, and when did you first realise that this could become a commercial reality? Well, one of my pals who had started was working on the kit magazine with and the podcast he'd had a similar idea to do something about uh, the start of the premier league and start of the champions league and, and 1992 and a lot of things the back pass rule etc and so he'd approached a, a sports publisher pitch and put a proposal together and they'd agreed to publish his work and um so i kind of put mine together and threw my hat in the ring and, and fortunately they you know they they accepted it and agreed to publish it and what was it like when you saw the first copy when the the first box comes and sort of like... oh it's it was yeah fantastic having put a lot of effort into it over probably a year or so solidly to have that concrete thing it was it was yeah fantastic feeling and here's your chance to plug it then so where can people buy it so it's available online a few different bookstores there's stanchion if you want to support an independent bookseller stanchion uh, uh, yeah independent so they can find it on on their site obviously it's on amazon and all, all the others waterstones etc if you are hunting for it the name pretty polly with one l will find you women's tights more readily than it'll <laughs> find you a football book so you might want to put alex ireland or the history of the football shirt in alongside that well, you never know if those two interests coincide, then you, you really look with that title. So how are sales going? Have you any idea how it's uh, how it's progressing so far? Yeah, I've tried not to check the Amazon charts too regularly, but uh, keep getting reports, people tagging me and things on, on Twitter. So it's trundling uh, along. We know with you having a copy, and as we said, my mother having a copy, we're, <laughs> we're at least uh, two already. So... It, the, the thing that's been nice is generally people you know people's feedback's been really good it, it's it's a hobby that a lot of us seem to enjoy and to have somebody collect it together as a history i think is has been really nice for people it certainly has uh, yeah speaking personally i say i took it on holiday with me read it in a couple of days and it it, it, it is very evocative so it, it Clearly, you're, given your age and you sort of say you started watching football in that Premier League era, that's when I think the commercial possibilities of the football shirt really started to come together. I'm, I'm old enough to remember cotton shirts. And of course, in those days, if you had a blue shirt, that could be Everton, it could be Chelsea, it could be Gillingham, it could be anybody. So I used to say that I got hundreds of football kits when in reality I had a white shirt, a blue shirt, a red shirt. But that was one thing about Rovers is their, their kit was so distinctive. It did, it did stand out from everybody yeah. else's. Uh, and, and I think that's that's something that we're, we're rightly proud of at the club. Anyhow, let's get into the book then. Uh, and I thought what we'd do is we, we'd sort of loosely follow the, the chapter headings so that uh, people listening can understand how the, how the book is structured and get something something out of it. So as you were going through it, what was the, the, the weirdest or the most unusual fact that you unearthed during your research? Huh? I think the oddest thing was how old many of these features were that 
when I'm sure sure you like like me, you'll know that the first sponsor was Kettering Town in the late sixties, and you'll know other things that the first names were in nineteen and numbers were in nineteen twenty eight and so on. And then when you dig a bit further, all these things that we know everything happened 30 years or so before but because there was such you know there wasn't the internet and there wasn't you couldn't access foreign leagues you couldn't even until 30s 40s you know till late 1920s you couldn't even listen to football games on radio never mind have them on tv so that nowadays any trend that appears in shirts is immediately flung all over the world and replicated but then it would be maybe 10, 20 years before something would become established more more generally once it had appeared or longer. I think one, one of the things that I really liked is um, the, the link of technology with design. And when you sort of talk, you, you talk about sort of shirts in the in the 19th century and somebody found out a way to dye a cloth in a particular way or to, to print something with stripes and, and hoops and all the rest of it. So obviously then innovation took over and we, we can see that in, in modern designs. But just thinking back, here I am sat in, I've, got, I've actually got a hooped rugby shirt on now. So I am in my own way paying tribute to those football kits of the Victorian era. Anyhow, right. So what the, one of the earliest chapters talks about the shirt um, and how it's evolved and just the, the fact that teams initially really didn't give much thought to it. It seemed that like, it was just a case of an ad hoc arrangement, and we've all done that, I guess, in pickup games as kids, yeah. where we sort of said lights versus darks or something like that. But what, what's what's your favourite shirt? What's your favourite design that that you've you sort of come across either in your football sporting history or whilst you're researching the book? There's so many to to pick from. Uh, in a personal sense, I think my my favourite has to be people might remember from 1990 to 92, Adidas made this called the Snowflake shirt, which is this jagged blue pattern with white, and that was on the scene when I first started staying up late to watch our European exploits. I think in the Cup Winners Cup in '91, and so that that's probably my my favourite and one of the ones that's escaped me so far because I only collect really long sleeve shirts and in the 1990s with Adidas and with Umbro those were normally reserved just for the the playing squad they weren't commercially available so the the chances of getting a United player shirt are yeah it's like needle in a haystack be very expensive hobby that goes I too preferred long sleeves but that was for the reason simply it kept me warm playing five aside Uh it was always it was well, I say it was always. It was much easier to get them in the late nineties, and then now I think it's it's quite difficult once again to get to get long sleeved shirts. Where do you where do you source most of yours from? Then how do you how do you find out about their availability? Different places. There's a really good social media community on Twitter and Instagram of people all over the world who source things locally who swap things there's ebay is fantastic if you can manage to wade through the uh, sea of fakes that are out there then the the one in 20 shirts that's actually genuine there's there's some real crackers that come up and there are some good uh independent retailers obviously a lot bigger firms as well so lots of different places you can pick them up it just depends how much confidence you have in in finding them so yeah, there are things like classic football shirts that have a store in the centre of Manchester and one in London, and you go there even with no knowledge, knowing that these are all genuine. But 
you know obviously you pay a premium for that whereas if you're a bit more confident you can can kind of brave the the wild west of uh, of ebay when you go on a holiday do you search out a sports shop to buy the local shirt not all the time, but yeah, it has been something as a yeah, as a visitor. I get I go away a lot with. I'm work. not alone. This is terrific yeah. news. <laughs> um, I, I do remember it like a, a Panathinaikos one from a a lads' holiday in seventeen or eighteen or, or so, and uh, Milan when I went there. Yeah, picking one up. So I, I, I travel a lot with work, so I couldn't pick one up each time, or I'd, I'd be, bankrupt, be bankrupt. But yeah, yeah. nowhere to store them. I remember once going on on holiday to Greece. And I got this absolutely fantastic. It was a Kappa AK Athens or Ike. Oh Athens wow! Shirt. Yeah, yellow, black, loads of, and it was just really, really stunning. And I wore it at Five Aside a couple of weeks later. And one of the guys that played Five Aside had brought um, a, a friend of his younger brothers with him who was over on exchange from Greece. And he said, "That's my team. That's my shirt." And he couldn't believe that somebody in Birmingham was wearing this shirt at Five Aside. It absolutely made him up. I almost felt like, I feel like I should give it you, but you've already got the shirt, of course. But I, I, I did get, a t- well, a terrible rap from from my wife as on holiday, but constantly buying shirts. I had to put a load on eBay a few years ago because it was just, get, I stopped playing Five Aside a few years back. And it was just ridiculous having this this mountain of shirts. And, yeah, it, it was it was. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I've not got kids, but I felt like I was selling my children. You know, it's kind of like, no, I can't let that one go. It's got so many memories. But slowly but surely, I've managed to divest myself of some of them. At least uh, I hope they're going to good homes. I guess it's like giving away puppies and things like that. So in terms of the book, the, ne- the next chapter is colour. And we- we've touched on it already in terms of um, technology allowing different designs and all the rest of it. Uh, you-, you spoke with John Devlin who is a, a, one of the, I think, main movers and shakers in the football kit and design industry. What, what, what's your favourite sort of like colour for a football shirt and how, which team wears it best? I do like that real regal Real Madrid white. I think they, you know, there is, there is something about them, isn't there? And that, that all that European history, it's, it's not just the recent success, obviously that fantastic run at the start of the competition and then again a resurgence in the 1990s, but just that kind of virgin white shirt, there's something definitely very special about that. And like, like you say, that it's nice when there are clubs that almost have the colours themselves. You think like like Rovers, you think like Monaco as well with that diagonal red and white shirt, which... Uh, plague does in the 1990s they, when they they knocked us out but it was de- uh, designed by princess grace actually so that, that's one of uh, my bookmarks that i bookmarked for that because i thought that was, right, i didn't okay. didn't know that that was a really terrific anecdote yeah. so where, how did you find out about that they're all ki- uh, kinds of books and bits and bobs i think some of these things many of these things you pick up on the on the internet there'll be an as monaco fan who will yeah. post something like that and they just hover around in your brain until they're they're ready to be poured out yeah, i'm going to use that as a quiz question i think which, uh, <laughs> which princess designed uh, one of the top european kits so I, I have to say my favorite i think design is sampdoria um there's something about the combination of that that, that band and the, the way that it stayed largely unchanged it's it's so striking and so it's I think the, if there was a Holy Grail shirt that I was after, it would be the, the ASICS version of that from yeah. um, back back in the sort of early 90s. It's an absolutely terrific shirt, and that, that really stands out. I love that Azuri blue as well. There's just something that's really, really nice about it. 
Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. So, in the book, we move on from shirt colour to the design. Can I mention the word templates and ask you where you stand on templates then? Are they a necessary evil or is it just a way of keeping costs down? I think a little little bit of both. It's like anything there. If they're good, you end up with a good template and they're fantastic shirts. And many of the most famous shirts that people love are actually template designs that... You know, because it's good design, nobody complains about them. It's when you end up with a, a duffer. So like anything, good one's good, bad one's bad. Which is your favourite? There's one that was used in the 1990s. So you might remember Ajax 95 when they won the Champions League in a Navy shirt that had some red detailing yeah. with Cliver and a wonderful team. Cliver, Van der Zaar, David Seydorf, etc. And so that Spurs had a version and Lazio had a version and I think that's fantastic. Big fan of the Umbro templates of the era, so definitely that one's right up there. Umbro is one of those brands that I kind of like grew up with as a kid because <clears throat> I think one of the first logos that, that sort of appeared um, was um, was Admiral. And then I think Umbro reacted to that by... that They've manufactured kits for top teams for years, haven't they? And then they suddenly sort of angle on I mean, If they can do it, we can do it. You'd see it appearing on Liverpool shirts, I think, was when I first first recalled it. Um, yeah, they, they had the big sort of like double diamond type design. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we've uh, discussed this, but my next my next book is about Umbros. It's a, a hundred year history of of the brand, so that's out well, next you'll have, May. You have so to come back on. That's that. <laughs> to chat about about that when that comes out. But yeah, as you said, it fantastic. They've been right at the heart of of things for a hundred years, and and like things like you're talking about the the replica boom and, and so on. Well, let, let's jump on to manufacturers. Who is your favourite brand and why? Those are some very, very difficult questions. Um, I love Kappa in the 1990s. I think probably goes in with the fact that they became so popular as a school kid. It was ubiquitous. Everybody had a Kappa jacket and and so on. So uh, that's definitely a favourite. I really like Nike in the 90s. Umbro, of course, with Manchester United and, and England. So... I think those three, I have to say, this is going to sound sacrilegious as a football fan, but I've n- I can't think of too many Adidas shirts that are right up the top of my list. So I'm probably the one exception of kit fans that, uh, who, uh, one who isn't <laughs> that fussed about Adidas. No, I, I, I can kind of appreciate that. I think uh, the part of Adidas kits I really like is where the Adidas Originals range, where they go back to, to literally just the three stripes on the sleeve kind of thing. And you can get long sleeve versions. And I've got a red one, which is effectively the Bayern Munich shirt from sort of like the mid 1970s right. before sponsors and things like that. And that takes me back. I can I can almost like see them playing Leeds in the Europe in that ill-fated European mm-hmm. Cup final. But I, I'm absolutely with you on that. I think that. I, I too love Kappa because we had an association with them at Rovers, of course, and we won the yeah. Cup wearing a Kappa kit. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the good citizens of Blackburn then got their first um, experience of Italian sizing. Uh, oh, so yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That combat fit that was, was just sort of, yeah, there were people sort of by, have you got that in XX, X, XXL kind of thing? And it really, it really did throw us out for, for a couple of years until everybody got used to it. 
But I think well, my... never mind the fans. I think this was sports science was only and diet and nutrition was only just starting to creep in. So I can think of a couple of Rovers players who might not have been too happy at having to <laughs> squeeze into those. How very dare you! How very dare you! Well, of course, Andy Cole um, was one of the um, the great wearers of, of, of a Rovers cap kit and scoring the winning goal in the League Cup fan as well. So you can appreciate him there. Who are the who are the best unheralded brands in your opinion? There's a, a brand called Enur who did uh, kits mainly in the 1980s uh, so they w- would have people if people have do remember them they probably remember Diego Maradona when he was at Napoli in the late 80s and they were a very interesting brand they initially they were woolen kind of woolen acrylic and acrylic garments and they were made in this monastery on a, a mountainside by nuns at some point and they had these beautiful painted sponsors and it's all proper sort of craft you know they'd be woven it all be hand made and so ultimately it didn't prove very sustainable and they they disappeared quite quickly but there's a if people check them out there's a series of beautiful like fiorentina uh, shirt when socrates was there in the mid 80s and a milan shirt as well but yeah, really beautiful, very simple but elegant kits. They do some. Uh, there's a company that does some reproductions of those. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it, it, they're very, very faithful. So, so by coincidence, we were over in Belgium last week and met the guy who who sort of set all all that up. And uh, the, yeah, the, it's all very, very faithful. They've even got some of the people who were there in the '80s have come back to do that same wow. thing. So the guy who paints the sponsors is the same person who who did it. And they were struggling actually for a couple of the details to recreate them from the photos. And even uh, the the guy who'd started the company did no but this uh, this guy who'd painted maybe 5000 of them had it firmly firmly burnt into his memory exactly what <laughs> color and shape and such of these details were it's a, a yeah, repetition all the rest of it that they they are some of the, i think they too did a Sampdoria one for a yes they might have been a manufacturer yeah. Sampdoria. but napoli i guess is the the brand that they're most associated with the the butoni sponsor or the mars sponsor yes those, those iterations are absolutely fantastic you touched on fiorentina there uh, if there any of our listeners are not familiar with the great Fiorentina away shirt fiasco, would you like to outline what happened with one of their designs? Yeah, so this was in the Battistuta era. And if if people go and look up, Fiorentina had a really fantastic kit collection in the, the 90s with Feeler and, and Lotto. They, they, yeah, there were some, some great ones. Unfortunately, there was an error. So there was a a computer generated design it was for their away shirt that was white and it had purple detailing across the shoulders but unfortunately this geometric computer program put the lines together so that it made a swastika uh, it somehow wasn't spotted during the production <laughs> process and there's pictures of Gabriel Batistuta in front of 40,000 people oh. and, and TV in a Serie A fixture in this shirt and understandably somebody quickly noticed and they had to repair do a new version of the shirt but there's still copies available and it's very very collectible because obviously it it was drawn from sale quite quickly so the numbers are are very restricted but whilst it's collectible it's (laughs) for obvious reasons not a shirt that you could could wear um, very readily out in public. I think you'd have to be very careful who's in whose company you wore that. I have to say, it's not well, maybe some tactfully applied uh, sticking tape or yes. something. 
I think that's one of the, one of the terrific um, examples of sort of people just getting a little bit too clever ahead of themselves. I can't. I still can't quite credit that no one spotted it though. When the when the sort of like the fabric was sort of like, and you look at it, it's just you know what you're looking for when you look at a picture. Absolutely, yeah. But the, it, it it is quite extraordinary. And who would you describe as the most innovative manufacturer? I think Umbro have been there at so many iterations of the football shirt that I, th- I think they, yeah, they've definitely they they created the first replica shirt really, uh, and then Admiral took that idea on and, and made it kind of more commercially viable. But I think they were one of the first as well to get involved with sports science-y kind of side of things. So the vapor tech in the, the sweat wicking fabric, yeah. they did things like, uh, I remember the sports wool around 2000. Yeah. That United fans will remember that very, very unusual to make a, a football shirt out of wool. And interestingly they had, so this was, this was something that was, kind of set up by a wool marketing board effectively because obviously if you can get people to make a million football shirts that's a lot of wool that's used up but but understandably umbra were quite skeptical about the idea of uh, whether a woolen shirt would work but actually they were very lucky that the fabric technologist at, at the time her mother was a school teacher and so they did probably the world's biggest field test where these four or five hundred kids at school got these shirts handed out to them at the start of the day they'd go and play in the playground break wow. time at lunch they'd be brought in and washed overnight at the end of the day and they did this for six months so they had this incredible long-term 500 person field trial and and it did really stand up very well and then as they launched they didn't get a single return so that, that's an amazing story I, di- I didn't fully appreciate that i know that there's a lot of people swear by um, merino wool underwear for skiing for warmth, but also right. for its natural sweat wicking properties. Uh, and I was last, last skiing holiday, I sort of went to. I thought oh, I have to just have a look at some now because it's incredibly expensive. So I stick with my sort of like nat, nat, um, under armour, sort of like the stuff that I wear playing football in. But uh, it is definitely, definitely. Uh, a fabric that I think is is much underrated. So, how do you see the replica shirt market evolving? Because I think that's one of the phenomena I've seen in my lifetime. You mentioned them; just Admiral basically revolutionised the industry. As a, there was nothing like an individual football kit, unless you had a unique design, like say Crystal Palace or, or Rovers did. If you had a red shirt; it could be Liverpool or Man United. Admiral came along and changed all of that. How do you see the replica market moving on now? Because it seems like manufacturers are constantly looking for that edge. What have you noticed when you've done your research? I mean, it's just become just such a massive source of income for for clubs. You look at somebody like Arsenal or Chelsea, it's about 30% of their turnover is related directly to the shirts, whether that's the sponsor, the Adidas or Nike kit deal, etc. So it's definitely here to stay. And whilst it would be very good for the environment and for our pockets to for us to take that step back as Brentford had done and at least go to yeah. releasing kits every two years it's just not going to happen for those biggest clubs it's not to take anything away from Brentford's gesture but one of the big problems is there's such a disparity in terms of income even within the Premier League that somebody like Brentford when they came in would be making at the lower end you're talking maybe half a million a million two million pounds for a, a kit deal whether it's whereas it's 75 million pounds for for United so 
at 75 million it's it's not an amount you can kind of give give up so i think they're here to stay in that sense i think it's very unlikely that even with the pressures of the environment and you know cost of living and so on we're, we're very very unlikely to go back i think we're probably going to go the other way that we've we've seen these player versions authentic versions the the premier league are about 120 pounds at launch as opposed to 80 for the standard fan versions but you see there's more of a difference between those versions as time goes on uh it's almost like you like many of these things you're being forced into to buying the the authentic version and in US sports, it's more pronounced because they don't change their shirts so regularly. And so they, they don't have sponsors, for example. So those shirts could be about $250, $300 or something like that. And I think there's going to be those ever-increasing tiers of authenticity. That There's clearly a market. There's a subset of people who will pay 80 quid. There's a smaller subset who will pay this 120. And there's probably a few, a hardy few of us who... Um, with more money than sense uh, to who would who would pay those higher fees for a a bony fide yeah player version yeah uh, you you mentioned in the book napoli and again for for our listeners that perhaps aren't familiar with their innovative techniques would you like to outline what you talk about in the book and their marketing techniques shall we say uh, it's become like their weekly shirt release so yeah, the season before last, they released 13 shirts. So there was the standard, they had the home away third and European shirts, but then they had a Maradona version because he passed away. And so each of those had a, a his face on. And then they've had these series of ever more improbable special shirts. So there, there, are, there are things that perhaps legitimate you know by intend to have a, an oktoberfest shirt and then carnival in no, uh, the north or well the west of germany is a very big event so teams in in cologne for example have a carnival shirt but napoli decided to celebrate essentially every holiday or greetings card o- occasion so they've had two or three Halloween shirts. They've had a Christmas shirt last year. They had a Valentine shirt that was essentially just a, a pair of, like something you get on paint, a pair of lips from clip art oh, lips that were, were on the front of a shirt. So they've really made it into a an art form, just tumbling out these shirts with seemingly very little thought or design process going into them. But still, they sell very well. And they, I think a couple of years ago when I totted it up, it would be about 1500 euro to collect all of the shirts together. So there's not just lots of them, but they're also quite expensive. It it is extraordinary stuff. Your your point about North American sports is well made as well. I can know um, when I first went to Canada, I wanted to buy um, an ice hockey shirt, uh, an authentic ice hockey shirt. And I saw the price of them. And then I found that there was um, a retro version you could buy. It was made of heavy duty, so a bit more like, say, a rugby shirt or something like that. Yeah. I ended up buying that, and it was still eye-wateringly expensive for my by my reckoning. But I've had that shirt probably getting on twenty years now, and it get it get does get some wear. It really, really does. So I think it's uh, it will be interesting to see. I think what you talk about in terms of the uh, player issue shirt versus stadium, to what extent those those designs will diverge and whether there will be an acknowledgement because I think we've seen it in rugby 
as the players have started wearing more high-tech nylon or polyester yeah. I should say kit and you can still buy the traditional rugby shirt I wonder if football will go along similar lines I, th- I think one of the, the other things that sorry the, the one of the other things is that we've seen I think my kids generation for them it's as much the football players that they follow as the team yes. and, and they become absolute superstars yes. and so yes. that's not really reflected okay you can pick up a Cristiano Ronaldo seven or whatever it is but I think one element will be having more personalization for the player, whether their personal brand, their Twitter handle, whatever it yeah. is, that that will it won't just be the club's identity that will be the the, the player's identity will be featured a, a lot more prominently on the, the shirt. And it's like many of these things, you know, there's lots of crossover brand between different brands. You know, I was wearing today a, a Umbro collaboration with with Liam Gallagher's pretty green to make yeah. to make a jacket. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think the if you've got a player brand and a club brand, then those together they will try and make something that represents and appeals to both of those. So mm, interesting to we'll see. see. The, 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 we're not short of ideas. As parting us from our hard earned, that's for sure. So I'm sure we'll see stuff coming along. So let's let's finish our chat then by talking about your collection, um, which is the shirt that you're you look at most often or you wear most often and what's the missing holy grail shirt that you're still chasing my favorite is a bit of an obscure one so i'm a huge fan of the highlighter yellow dortmund shirts that people might remember from the the 1990s that were made by nike from 1990 to 98 i actually completed the collection of these home and away shirts this year but the the star for me is in the 96 97 season where they won the champions league they had separate home away and then european home away shirts and the european away shirt is beautiful white shirt with some black details and it only had the faintest little hints of this highlighter yellow so on the cuffs there was a little band and then on the neck and of course the crest uh, so it was actually never worn in a match they always wore the home version and then wore the 97 98 shirt in the final so it's never been worn and it, it was it's very rare to to find one there they, they were released commercially but only in, in small numbers but that for me, if if people can check that out, the Borussia Dortmund, yeah, European or Cup version, ninety six, ninety seven, the away, that that's my my favourite. And there's a few grails that continue to elude me, as as we we spoke about before we we came on. I I only collect long sleeve shirts, only from the nineties, and really non UK clubs. So I've made it as difficult as possible. And so there's very few things that are readily available that that um, have, have eluded me so far. Interesting. One of the things that you talked about was the AK Athens shirts, those incredible um, late nineties Kappa shirts, and those are very, very high up my list. But whenever I see them, about four or five hundred pounds, and they only come up very rarely, and generally in small, short sleeves. So yeah. that's way. Mine were short sleeves, so sadly. Yeah, so that's that's long, long since donated to a charity shop as well, which is. Which is a pity. Well, I'm sure if our listeners um, can come across one of those, there's some money to be made flogging it to Alex, perhaps in exchange for a few copies of the book. You never know. Alex, it's been lovely chatting with you. As I say, you you hit on, um, as far as I'm concerned, one of my favourite football subjects. 
uh, people who read the 4,000 Holes fanzine will have uh, been bored with my articles over the last few issues talking about Rovers kits in my lifetime. This takes that idea and gallops away with it and talks about the history. It's a fascinating read. If you're remotely interested in football, heartily recommend it. There's some great pictures in it. Um, go out and buy it, I would say. It's it's well worth your time and effort. But Alex, thanks for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome back any time when you finish the Umbro book. Then uh, Obviously, can we can cross-reference that with Rover's Umbro kits over the years, and we'll get you on again. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for the invitation. It's been, been great to chat a bit about Rover's, a bit about kits. Hi, my name's Tyrese Dolan, and you're listening to the 4,000 Holes podcast. My wife sort of said, what on earth is that book? Because the cover, I think, is so so vibrant. As Distinctive, well. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. Really, really good. It did take me back to my childhood days, though. Sort of like, because I used to, obviously, well, not obviously, um, I'm so old, you know, black and white TV was the norm. And so it was, you know, the dark greys against the light greys or leads in all white. Then when colour TV came in, I can remember watching the Liverpool-Arsenal Cup final and seeing Arsenal in that vibrant yellow and blue away kit. And yeah. the the local sports shop in Accrington, where I was born, had um, had got some short sleeves on. It was the first proper replica that I ever got with the the, the Canon badge on and FA Cup from right, okay. 1971 underneath. Wow. And I absolutely loved that shirt. I think I, I wore it all summer, kind of thing. <laughs> I had to be surgically removed. I'm not an Arsenal fan, no affiliation. But there was something about we just got a colour TV. That was the first Cup final I remember watching in colour. And then they had it in the local sports shop. God, I've got to have that, and I think that that set me off down a road then. But, uh, but I, I was guilty of doing that thing about buying shirts on holiday, as I say. I ended up yeah, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. Well, I, I think there wasn't that tribalism, you know, outside of Burnley and maybe United and a couple of local things. You know that you wouldn't have. I don't think you'd have cared about Arsenal or Spurs or whatever. Not, not, well, certainly, not certainly not back then. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I would. I had an affiliation, I suppose you'd say, with Manchester City. One of my cousins was a massive United fan and so I, naturally I couldn't support Man United then. I had to of sort of say well Manchester City in my first division but that was Bell Summerby Lee yeah, at the time, so when they, you know, the time. They, they were sort of like you know, pecking or down and I, I always had a soft spot for them especially when they went down to the third division but then when they, obviously with recent events you know, they don't need my uh, sort of like yeah, sympathies yeah. anymore uh, but I did I, I always had an eye for the foreign kits and Ajax was, was one again I remember from the European Cup finals in, in the 1970s and that, that, that stood out um, and then you know latterly as I say once I became aware of Sampdoria when Channel 4 got yeah. made, um, the Italian rights so, yeah. my god that's a that's a beautiful shirt it is um, yeah I've, I've got I actually got that's the only Sampdoria oh no well but but I've got that Sampdoria A6 one that you um, yeah. you mentioned that's uh, yeah a firm I've, I've had a look at that on a couple of sites but they were eye-watering sums of money and I sort of think yeah, I, can't, yeah. I can't justify that now because I, I, you know you see I, I've got some Rover shirts framed but yeah I don't wear them anymore I'm too you know too old to wear them to, to the game but I don't mind retro ones but uh, anyway I'm, I'm detaining you thanks very much once again when you have written the Umbro book or if you need any photos of Rover's Umbro shirts <laughs> I can help you out with all those but good luck with that and thanks for joining us it's really good no absolutely I, I will be doing um, an event so it's, it's next May because Umbro turn 100 uh, on the 23rd oh, right. okay. of May so that kind of uh, focus my mind on it so 
I'm go going to be doing an event in Manchester, um, so we're go going to been in contact with a lot of people, you know, grandson of the founder, the MD in the, the 90s and stuff like that, so we are we did an event for the Pretty Polly launch down in yeah. CFS in, in London, but we're going to be doing something in, in Manchester, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep you updated. Cause, yeah, well, well, we'll, um, we'll, gladly pop, we'll gladly post it on the, on the site and we'll push it out through the socials. Thanks again, Alex. All Cheers, right. mate. Take Thanks. Bye. 4,000 holes in Blackburn, Lancashire. It's from a Beatles song. Give it a listen. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.